The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for June 10th, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young here. Oh boy, still hot in Texas. I did get my stand-up paddleboard, though, so happy about that. No, what else I'm happy about? I'm happy about the ability, the gift given to me by the podcast gods that we get to have this conversation about politics. We're going to begin with the man who would not die. Currently, the front runner for the Senate nomination in Missouri, Eric Greitens. Boy, howdy. This man got ran out of the governor's mansion because of a sex scandal. Initially had what I thought was his entire Senate campaign exploded by the fact that his ex-wife, who stood by him during the sex scandal, was now charging that he beat his kids. And yet... The polls don't lie. We will dig into the numbers there. We're then going to have a bit of a personal segment because I got an email about gun violence from somebody that always goes to the head of the line in terms of uh, reading what they have to say. And it's uh, my brother. And he had obviously a very specific reaction to the shooting in Uvalde with elementary school kids because he's got two elementary school kids of his own, or at least close to it. They are, of course, my niece and nephew. So uh, we're going to read what he had to say. It was a reaction to the Kevin Ryan episode last week. We will go through all that. Also, we will be joined by Michael Cohen, Uh, the modern campaigns author, because we're both fascinated with Pennsylvania, the two big races there for Senate and for governor. We've got some thoughts. We think that Mastriano is being underrated. We are, we are concerned about the Fetterman campaign. We will discuss, but first, Eric Greitens has a connection with the Republicans of Missouri. I think that that is safe to say. It is safe to say that this man has some kind of intellectual connection or emotional connection with the people of Missouri. Because if a politician that didn't have that connection got hit with one of the things that he's gotten hit with, I think that their career is over. Let's roll back the clock for folks who haven't been paying really close attention. Eric Greitens was the outsider governor of Missouri. Then, through a complicated series of events, it is revealed that he had an affair with a hairdresser. What's more, he and the hairdresser engaged in some 
kinky activity. So kinky, it might have bordered on imprisonment, <laughs> if not assault. And then there was a sprinkling of sexual blackmail. Specifically, the most uh, outlandish claim was that the hairdresser came to the Greitens household. They were in the basement. Greitens told her that he would show her how to do the perfect pull-up. That turned into him securing her wrists to the pull-up bar, stripping her naked and taking a picture, saying that if you ever reveal that you have had an affair with me to anybody, he would release that picture. This uh, sank his governorship. He, he was chased out. That and a issue of campaign finance stuff. So he's out. He winds up getting a divorce from the wife who stood by her man through that particular scandal. More on her in a second. And after he is cleared on the campaign finance charge, he decides, you want to know what? I'm running for Senate. Well, he was an outsider runner for governor. He's even further outside now. And yet, let's go ahead and take a look at the polls leading up through February. Eric Reitens was the leader in this race. And then a funny thing happened on the way to the Capitol. Greitens' ex-wife surfaced. She said that there is physical evidence that Eric Greitens is abusive to his kids. Now, that's a hard one. Because if the wife said, ex-wife said that he was abusive to her, then at least there's an adult that he can call lying. But if it's the kids, well... I thought it was check and mate. I thought that Eric Greitens was done. And yet, when I take a look at that real clear politics polling data, while through May, there was still a lead by another candidate, Schmidt in this case, as of mid-May, Greitens was back to his old familiar places, up nine points, according to a KMOVTV Survey USA poll. Trafalgar Group, famously one of the more accurate when it comes to Republican races, has Greitens up three. The Hill-Emerson has him up six. I, I don't know what it is about the political buoyancy of Eric Greitens. But holy crap, does he have it? And I got to say, if you're that politically buoyant when things are bad, it's going to be interesting to see who would be able to take him down when things are good. Now, the other side of this is Ken Eric Greitens, who has pissed off almost everybody in the Republican Party in Missouri and does not have a whole lot of friends in D.C. either. A reminder that the other uh, senator from Missouri is Josh Howley, who, while they are both share an element of the you know Trump MAGA wing of the party, 
they hate each other. Howley was the AG that helped uh, organize Greitens' initial ouster. But, again, you can't buy connection. And that's exactly what Greitens has right now. The Missouri primary is August 2nd. The following is an email from Eric Young, my brother. He writes, just listen to you and Ryan's conversation. Some of it touched upon an idea I've been wanting to discuss, shunning shooters. As noted, these shooters are individuals who can't adapt enough to be loved, make connections, etc. However, in this country, we have a proven process for instant infamy. Conduct a mass shooting. To boot, the more appalling the victims, like elementary school kids, the greater the infamy. They die knowing everyone will know their name and story. They have connected. To me, the news cycle of each mass shooting grooms the next mass shooter. They see the reaction and want it for themselves, creating copycats, one-upsmanship. But could the cycle be broken psychologically? Could we as a society not make mass shootings such a satisfying solution for disaffected individuals by not sharing their stories, names, and photos? What if we shun these shooters? I know we can't stop the information from coming out entirely, but should we try or package it differently? I don't think this would solve the problem of disaffected, dangerous Americans, but I do think it could curb the pandemic of mass shootings. My question to you is, as a journalist, where do you stand on the concept of shunning these shooters ethically and philosophically? To me, it ties into what you said on freedom. The ability to know, say, and do everything comes from these random consequences of horror. How much do you restrict your own freedom in an effort to stop horror? I wonder what you'd think using that lens to assess this concept specifically. So, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, uh, just to give you context on this, I, Eric, my brother, has taken uh, this shooting you know, more seriously than he probably would otherwise because we always see our reality in what happens in the world and the stuff that resonates the most tends to be the thing that we can see ourselves the most in. There was a story on Facebook that my brother shared about a artist in San Antonio who is making custom caskets for all the victims of Uvalde. And one of the things that I have found hardest to to digest about this tragedy is the copy of the news stories that come out about it when they're talking about the victims. And instead of saying, oh, this was Denise, she worked for 20 years at a law firm or something like that, because the victims were so young, the descriptions of what they loved are, you know, juvenile. They loved dancing. They loved art. You know, they loved blippy. And so these caskets are the grim manifestation of that. My brother shared that with the note that if this were to happen 
to his son and daughter, my niece and nephew, that the caskets would have Sidney Crosby for the boy and Elsa for the girl. So with that being said, and those kind of stakes on this conversation, let's go through this particular question. Do we glorify the shooter and do the shooters look at that and say, I want this for me? If I cannot connect in the way that everybody else can connect in society, then I will connect on my own terms. I will connect through infamy. Specifically, the Buffalo shooter uh, had a tremendous tie to another shooting. Most specifically, the New Zealand shooting wherein he copied almost everything about it, down to the gun and the fact that he live-streamed his act. I don't know. Well, let me put it this way. In a bygone era where there was a very, very, very specific choke point for what is a news story and what isn't, I think the idea of controlling the narrative and keeping the names and details about a shooter out of sight was easier. You know, it's only a couple decades ago that if you convinced the the nightly news producers for three major networks and the uh, heads of the New York Times and the Washington Post that something wasn't a story, then quite frankly, it wasn't. It might get circulated in other places, but it would not become the common understanding of how things go. The great and terrible element of the internet is that we can't control that anymore. So, good news. Things that otherwise wouldn't have broken through now do. Bad news. We can't hit the brakes. If you look at the fetishization of certain shooters that write manifestos, including Elliot Rogers, you understand that disaffected kids are going to find them. So notwithstanding this segment where I've, I've read the names of some of the shooters, in general, I prefer to not. I don't find their names particularly newsworthy or uh, have great utility. I, unless you are like talking about multiple shooters and then you have to do it for clarity. But I would prefer that we that we not. I do think that there is an element of infamy here. What I don't know is the thing that makes them lose their power. Because what I think we default to is what my brother said. Don't mention things. If you don't mention things, then things will not get out. But unfortunately, that's not how the internet works. You know, ultimately, the only way that you can stop infamy is to make things not interesting or fun for people on the internet, in my opinion. This is a story that Brian Brushwood, my friend, tells a lot, but One day we were recording stuff for our comedy podcast, uh, then called Night Attack. All of a sudden, his phone starts blowing up. And it's all these YouTube comments. And the YouTube comments uh, all 
say uniformly, I can't believe that you did what you did to that girl. Effectively, there is a deluge of comments that are coming in that are insinuating that Brian Brushwood was a molester and that now the story had come to light. As he's panicking about what is happening, we realize through some of our our, our fans and connections that this is a 4chan troll. We find the little message board where it happened. And to be totally, uh, uh, totally honest, Brian was selected at random. We watched the process. People kept naming people that they watch on YouTube. There would be a random number generator to see if they would be the person. And Brian literally won the unlucky lottery. So then our question was, how do we not make this fun? Well, the one thing that they would want to do is for Brian to freak out, Brian to respond and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Brian to say, I am certainly not a molester of children because, quite frankly, that's exactly what a molester of children would say. So what we settled on was the following. Brian would make a video in which he would uh, be presented with an award for winning the unlucky lottery. He would uh, uh, say thank you to 4chan, uh, that it was really, really great of them to visit his channel, and thank you for the views. And then I think we wrote something at the end where uh, uh, he's like, oh, well, because they mostly brigaded one video. And he was like, okay, but also, did you solve the puzzle? You know, I think it's a pretty good puzzle. It immediately made it not fun. It was dad trying to do the new TikTok dance. If he's not going to react the way that people want him to react, well, then what use is it? Now, I hate to go back to something that I've talked about a lot, but I do think that there is an element of this in play. The partisanship that happens around these shootings, I find to be disgusting. And while they're cathartic for a lot of people, I do believe that it does have a negative impact on society. And here's why. If we are to take these manifestos seriously, then the stated reason why the Buffalo shooter used the gun he used was because he was hoping to get guns banned in America and for there to be an armed uprising so he could be at the center of a massive war. While I'm not here to tell anybody that they should not passionately lobby for gun control, what I am saying is that if we make this, these situations the emotional center of them as opposed to a sustained push because we believe in these situations and we hold our politicians accountable for it, then you have neutered at the very least this one shooter's stated reason why he believed he would get a desired reaction. Because he got that desired reaction. And he was the one that was most focused on copying another shooter. 
Now, I don't know what exactly that means. I don't know if there is a psychological break we can have where at least in the halo of these horrifying tragedies, we can spend more time in the first 72 hours talking about the victims than the murderer. That's probably a bridge too far. But boy, I hope it wasn't. I do hope that we could focus on the loss of life and we could honor those people that were there and they weren't just secondary small pictures to some bedraggled, awful barnacle at the bottom of life's ship. I do think that that might have an effect. Leading with empathy. Making the people that we talk about the most the people that are no longer here. Giving a tribute to the families and friends who will never be the same. So there we go, Eric. I know where you're coming from. I think we can all try to walk our own path toward that, but I'll do my best. So that's uh, that's some heavy stuff. If you would like to support this show, you can do so at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Trust me, in these trying times, especially as we might possibly be staring a recession down the, the, the pike there, I appreciate every red cent that you guys peel off and uh, hand my way. It means the world to me, and I try to give y'all something for your money. At the $3 level, you get two bonus episodes each and every week. One that comes out for Monday and one that comes out on Thursday. Monday is the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition. And the Thursday is the late edition. That is the latest that we cover news. Here's how I can prove it. I'm recording this on Wednesday. But it's coming out on Friday. So I don't even know. I would normally tell you what happened on the Thursday episode, but I can't tell you what happened on the Thursday episode because it hasn't been Thursday yet. We're at Wednesday now for me, but for you, it is Friday. Because we record this early. We don't cover the things later. Do you see what I'm talking about? That's why this stuff has to be more evergreen. But if anything does pop off on a Wednesday, Like, let's say maybe this gun control stuff. Then I'm able to cover it on Thursday. There we go. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. We are all having a good time. Thank you, guys. Honestly, Uh, 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 I know that there there are some tough times. We've gotten uh, a few more notices of, of people saying that their financial situation has changed on the Patreon. So just know, just know that, uh, I understand, I love and respect every dime that you guys have given and uh, anybody who would like to get on. This is a good time to get on. It's a very good time to get on when stuff is actually happening. Then uh, come on in. Also, the uh, uh, fall travel schedule. We're going to need to get that popping. We're going to need to get that popping. You guys need to submit where I should be going. 
The only other primary that I have is is Wyoming. Definitely going out for that Wyoming primary. But other than that, oh boy, definitely, definitely Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You know, these Pennsylvania campaigns are insane. I, I, I love both of them. I love both of these matchups, both for governor and for Senate, so much so that I got to talk in randomly with uh, my friend, Michael Cohen. Of course, he is the author of Modern Political Campaigns, How Professionalism, Technology, and Speed Have Revolutionized Elections. He is himself a veteran of many campaigns, and he joins us here right now. Michael. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm fascinated by Pennsylvania. I've got, uh, I've got, I've got big Pennsylvania fascinations. I want to talk about the Senate. I want to talk about the governor. Which of the two races do you find most fascinating? I love that Senate race. I mean, that, that Senate race is everything to me. I, I, I love seeing. Um, basically two unconventional candidates square off. Um, it's, it's the best. Come on. It's It's so good. It's so good. All right. So let's, let's start from the Oz side, from your perspective as somebody who has been in the midst of these campaigns, how would you handicap the strengths and weaknesses of Dr. Mehmet Oz? The best thing Oz has going for him right now is the political environment. So, you know, everyone is paying more for everything and everyone's pissed. Yeah. So that's the best thing that's going on for Oz right now, as far as Oz himself, because there's usually like, you know, sort of the environment we look at. And then of course, you know, the candidate Oz is good on TV. You know, Oz has been on TV for a long time and Oz knows um, what will look right on TV. what won't. And I, I think to a real extent, like that's, that's a real talent. The other thing, and this goes back to our conversation that you and I had offline. He's a freaking heart surgeon. Yeah. And yeah. And the other guy's got a heart problem. <laughs> well, know, yeah. So I, yeah. You know, so, so I think that there's something to talk about there. Uh, there, there. Trust me, we will get into it. We will get into it. So I, I would agree with you. I think name recognition is the biggest thing. The biggest liability is the fact that he's from out of state and he's never done this before. And he cuts the figure for the true blue MAGA folks as a carpetbagger, you know, uh, 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 I think fortunately for him, he was running against another dude who lives in another New York City suburb. So there was nobody until Kathy Barnett made that very, very, very late run uh, to really challenge him on that. But do you worry going into the general that he had such high unfavorables amongst Republicans or is or is the environment that everyone's going to be voting in in November going to wash that away no matter what? Well, there's going to be so much money and so much interest in this race that I, I think that turnout's going to be relatively high for this one. I mean, I really think Oz, I, I don't know that Oz is going to be able to pull people out um, just because he is who he is. I think it's going to be coming to him. And I think that Trump is going to make this a statement kind of race uh, to show the party that, you know, he, he still has dominance over them. I mean, don't forget, this was a situation where a lot of Trumpian people were working for the other guy. Yeah. And so Trump made a statement about Oz 
um, mainly because he probably gets him. You know, they're both sort of TV media personalities. You know, there's some of that vibe going on. And Trump is very instinctual that way. He's not very much looking at different Poland and stuff like that. So to a real extent, I think this was just sort of like, oh, he's one of me. So yeah. um, he now wants to show all the smart people that he picked the right guy. So I would imagine that he'll be doing rallies for him. He'll be doing ads for him. And he'll be making this as much as he can of a, about himself to get all of his people out so that he doesn't lose it. I do agree. This is pro- well here. Let me ask you, do you agree that this race tilts the Senate? That this, this, I mean, we don't know until election day, but, but if you were to handicap the one race that tilts it one way or another in, in, in a close environment, it would be Pennsylvania. You know, it's either this one or it's, um, you know, Herschel Walker, you know, I, I think that that race right there, um, is one that can easily go. And, uh, you know, once you have that one, you don't need anything else. So I, I think yeah. to a real extent, you're looking at either one of these. And I think, Warnock has plenty of money um, to try and fight him off, but I don't know that he's got, you know, football God cred, um, you know, on his side. You know, he has God cred on his side because he does. He's, you know, he does. Pastor. Yeah. He doesn't have football God cred on his side. So I, I don't not. know that that's going to work out for him. He has not won a Heisman for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, that one is fascinating. And it's, I, I, my new obsession is watching. Democrats in these embattled races, knowing the headwinds they're facing and seeing how much they can talk about without mentioning the word Democrat or Biden in their ads, because like Warnock's are the funniest Warnock's are, are just, he's, he's, he's getting people insulin in one. He's fixing an electric bus in another, his new one. He's running. He's just physically running. Like he's physically running in the latest ad. Yeah. Just as in like, I'm running from Joe Biden right now. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me there was, I remember I watched an ad once it was a subway ad and there it was like, the subway was founded by blah, blah, blah. And they went through all this thing and it was this crazy, like it had these kind of visual effects to it and it didn't really have a point, but it was this big, loud, messy thing. And I'm like, why would they run that ad? And I realized it was their first big campaign since Jared went to jail. Like, yeah. And so it's yeah. like literally they were trying to whatever, figure out who they were, whatever, yeah. Yeah. like, like anything it, but Jared, just, just, I, we're going to squirt you in the face with a flower. Like I'm going to, I'm going like, to hit myself in the yeah. face with a pie, whatever makes you not think of the thing you would otherwise immediately think of with me. That's right. all I care. Fetterman on the other side is, I think somebody that if we are in an inflection point for progressive politics, he is probably the guy that I would say is your best politician. The, a guy that knows what statewide, what, what statewide electorate he's going for. He's very familiar with it. He knows the demos. He knows how to talk to them. He's the candidate that Tim Ryan wishes he was in terms of being the tough guy right, union so. cred. When Tim Ryan looks in the mirror, that's who he sees. He wishes. Oh, God. He's, he's like, oh, yeah. man, if I could only have gotten an arm tattoo and and only, you know, look like a yeah. Lucy menthol smells, then then I would really have have things going here in Ohio. But at the same exactly. time. The man just had a stroke caused by an underlying yeah. heart attack. And, and, and the bonus, the pacemaker. And he got a pacemaker put in. Right. I've said on this show, look, 
You get one on the campaign trail. You get one you heart get attack. Two? I don't think right. you get two. I think at two uh, now your party's like if you're before the uh, if you're before the replacement line, which is I believe in early August, then there's serious. I mean, there's whispers now. There's there'd be serious conversation if you had another one. And the fact that it happened at the moment where things are about to get serious that they are about to get hectic, that he's about to have to start really traveling. Like that's, that's, that's rough. How much do you think this plays into it? You can't campaign in a wheelchair. <laughs> you yeah. can't campaign in a, in a hospital bed. I mean, you know, you can't campaign like part time, you know, if you're going to be running statewide and you're committed to seeing the entire state, like the way he always, you know, campaigns, you know, it's like every County, no vote left behind. Yeah. You, you can't just, you know, strap on the shorts and just kind of meander around just a couple of counties. You got to go the whole blast. So, you know, one of the cool things about Fetterman was, is that, you know, Fetterman seemed quasi indestructible, right? If yeah. you look at this guy, he's a guy who would be like on your t-shirt right now. Like you've got a yeah. WrestleMania shirt on. Like yes. you can imagine that guy being on at WrestleMania with, you know, half a dozen Trump friends, you know? And so he, if he's really not that guy, then his superpower is sort of taken away from him until you see him do the thing. Like if he just walks out, you know, gives the fist bump, you know, to everybody and says, I'm good. And then goes out and campaigns. Nobody remembers it in about a month, but if he doesn't do the thing and he just sort of does, you know, a version of Joe Biden campaigning, um, that's not going to be enough. Bring me inside a campaign apparatus when a emergency like this happens. How much say does the top brass have? How much say does the candidate have when, especially when you're mixing in things like personal health and shaping that, what do you tell? What don't you tell? What are those conversations? Well, I mean, the first thing you think of is pick your, your expletive, like, oh, bleep, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, if you're running this campaign, the first thing you're thinking about is, oh, my God, what has happened here? So the, the first thing that you're thinking of if you're the candidate is, okay, well, how bad is this, right? I mean, so you, you're trying to get your story straight with your doctors, with protocols, with all those things, then telling your family, then telling your kids. I mean, then, then you bring in the campaigns. The campaign doesn't know everything right away. In yeah. fact, they will find out roughly afterwards, unless the campaign manager, for example, is really close to the candidate. Um, then you might have an inkling, like if it's a best friend situation or a close colleague, um, someone you've worked with for years, they'll get a heads up call, but they'll try and keep it quiet for the first 24 to 48 hours, even 72 hours until everything stabilizes. And then once you have, a, you know, essentially a medical plan, then it goes to comms and you're trying to figure out, okay, how can we mitigate the damage here? How can we ensure our, our supporters that we're going to be out there pretty soon? And how can we still strike fear into our opponents um, from a hospital bed? And so I think to a real extent, with that that's really what's going on at the top levels of the campaign after the family has their conversations. Because I'm sure that there was some conversation between Mr. and Mrs. Fetterman saying, okay, is this really worth it? Like, should we actually go out and do this campaign after this huge health scare? And if you read between the lines, his wife had been telling him to take care of himself. He'd been yeah. blowing it off. All of a sudden now she's got it right on top of him right now. Like, I don't want to lose my husband. 
um, you know, and, you know, about this campaign, let's talk about that separately. So they had that conversation together on the health side, then it morphed into the campaign. Now, what about this other thing that we're doing together? And I, I think that once that's done, then you talk to the top campaign, you know, officials, and then from there, everything else kind of gets out. So to a real extent, this is a stage process. And right now they're at the point where they're saying, okay, we're going to dial down campaigning. We're all going to take a breath, quote unquote before we go back. That's not really a plan. That's not like I'm going to be back on the road July 4th. Yeah. You know, and so that's the thing that you're really concerned about if you're a Fetterman, you know, Stan, and the thing that you're most excited about if you're Oz. If you're Oz right now, I'd be blanking the state. I'd be taking Oz Force One everywhere I can go, you know, and land everywhere that I would think Fetterman would go and say, he's not here, but I'm here. And by the way, I'm a heart surgeon. I would be doing 10 burpees to begin my speech, 10 burpees in the middle and 10 at the end. And then, and then have and a then push do up heart competition exams for free. And, and then, then do yes. heart exams. And then, and then know, take everybody free heart exams. Yeah. Take yeah. everybody. John blood wants to pressure. come by. We'll examine his heart too. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll take your BP. I'll, I'll do the, you know, the thing where I listen to your heart, and, yep. you know, Hey, um, you know, have you been dialing down the brats? You know, I mean, just <laughs> all the kind of cheesesteaks, you know, whatever. And just say, Hey, look, you know, um, let's talk about heart health. You know, a lot of men, you know, really don't really talk about that. This is a really good time for us to talk about it. I'm sure since John was talking about it, I think we should bring this up and we should bring essentially it up. keep it in the news for as long as you possibly can. So let's talk about the ethics there, understanding that this is a high stakes race. Uh, I assume, especially when we get to the pack money, that all manner of of, uh, of of level of attack will be shot against both of these candidates. And I think for Fetterman, you can certainly understand that the health stuff will become something that will be talked about. But from the official campaign, from Oz himself where where uh, do, do you think in general the 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 boundaries are for well he can talk about it but only if he talks about it in a certain way and we don't want him to come up we don't want it to backfire that he's being malicious against somebody that might be more likable than he is yeah i mean obviously i'm joking i mean from the ethical standpoint he's not going to be holding hard exams no 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 no, no 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 yeah we <laughs> no, were joking right. yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. gonna be doing that right yeah yeah we're totally joking um, it's a podcast. It's fun, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I think what he, yeah, he he will leave all of that to the super PACs. He will leave that to Trump. He will leave that to all the, you know, Doctor Evils that are around his his Doctor campaign. Yeah. Um, and he will try to, if he's smart, start moving away from what you would normally do in a primary where you were running conservative. He was running really hard Trump. He will probably start moving away from Trump towards more of a a Glenn Youngkin kind of thing where yeah. he's trying to figure out like what's the serious issues that are going on. So he can basically separate at least his messaging from Trump, if not, you know, his endorsement. And so right now is, the, is really his opportunity to play Senator and to say, okay, uh, I've got this nomination now I'm up against somebody who's compromised. Why am I really in this? You know, I need to tell people why I'm really in this and, and go everywhere. And so to a real extent, I think that that's his opportunity around him. There'll be plenty of spending reminding about, what Fetterman went through and how liberal he is and, you know, all the things that he wants to do um, that represent like the AOC part of the party. But if you are, you know, Dr. Oz at this point, you've got a really big opportunity to move forward. I'm not going to criticize the Fetterman campaign's messaging just yet, because like we've talked about, I think they have a larger problem, which is getting getting their candidate on the road before I, I criticize them. But the number one thing that you see in their comms right now is, 
Oz for New Jersey and this guy ain't from here, blah, blah, blah. I've got a theory, and this is how we're going to transition to the other race in, in Pennsylvania, that this midterm election, more than most, is going to be an extraordinarily kitchen table election. If you are talking yeah. about things that are talked about at the kitchen table, gas prices, inflation, all these very micro issues, you are going to win. The more you make this existential, the more you make this, can you trust somebody from another state or like, are they an existential threat to democracy? I think you are not talking about gas prices and inflation and everything else that people are kind of panicked about right now. Not worried, panicked about and blaming people for things right now. And if you don't have an answer for that, then that's a problem. So while I don't think that it's the wisest thing for Fetterman, I'll give him a time to you know, get his entire campaign uh, together before I really start judging him. I do judge the Democratic nominee for governor, Shapiro, because his main messaging right now against his can uh, his his opponent Mastriano is he was at January sixth. He he's going to subvert the election, and Trump's going to run again, and he'll do everything that Trump wanted to do back in twenty twenty. Regardless of whether or not you think. That is a valid issue. I think it is a most valid issue for people that were going to vote for Shapiro, no matter what, not the independents that are going to swing this election in that state. Do you agree? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you pretty much summed it up. I mean, you know, um, I think what it comes down to is this is like, those are not micro issues. So inflation is a macro issue and inflation yeah. is something that's a kitchen table <clears throat> issue. But it, but it's not small. I mean, it's really it's significant. I mean, when you go ahead and you pump gas into your car right now, it's like twenty bucks more than it used to be, or thirty bucks more than it used to be, and that that's a lot of money. You know, I mean that that's that's double Netflix money for people, or that's yeah, you know, even more importantly, like that that's that comes out of your groceries. I mean, so there's there's a lot of things that are going on right now that are absolutely real, and the more that he's talking about January sixth. Um, he should be talking more along the lines of like how we're going to get, you know, either taxes down that can lower some prices or something else. I mean, you know, the Democrat version of that to go ahead and, and attack what people are talking about, because if he's not talking about the things that everyone's talking about and not not every election is about that. Right. Not every election is about a big issue. Right. Yeah. Not every election is, is about the economy. But right now it is. And the fact of the matter is like everybody has jobs. But everything is much more expensive. And that's what we're all concerned about. And that's why Biden is now polling like the he has the worst real clear politics rating that he's had ever is average. And that's pretty bad. I mean, he's, you know, real low 40s right now. He's like in a situation where he looks like he's Trump and he's not Trump. And so to a real extent, if you don't have answers for that and if you're Fetterman and you're talking about New Jersey, OK, that's fun for about a week or so. But like, what's your answer to the thing that I actually care about? That I'm going yeah. to be voting about. And if you don't have answers to that, um, creative answers, frankly, um, then you, you have to really question why you're running. I, I think that there's this disconnect, and I see it largely with Democratic politicians in a post-Trump age where they're messaging to people that I guess in 2020 
I, 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 I'm trying to put, put words to this. I kind of almost wish, I mean, I wish for a lot of reasons the pandemic didn't happen, but I wish the pandemic didn't happen just so they yeah. could run against Trump saying you're Trump and lost. And they would have realized this is a bad strategy. We need to be talking about specific other things. The lockdowns in the pandemic gave them a whole new window into public health and everything that, that allowed Joe Biden to win very, very, very narrowly. But when you're looking at people that aren't Trump, and we've seen this, we saw this in this L.A. election with Caruso and and Bass. You're seeing this in the uh, uh, Pennsylvania governor's election, where it's just a finger point saying you're Trump and you're dangerous. You are leaving out what the other guy is talking about. And Mastriano, when you listen to him talk, he's talk he talks way more about uh, fracking. And 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 creating oil in Pennsylvania, uh, which whether or not the macroeconomics work on whether or not it would bring down a, a gallon of gas in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or the surrounding environs, uh, uh, I'll leave that up to the economists. But I know it resonates with voters when he comes out and says the price of gas is too damn high and Shapiro and Wolf before him didn't let us do this. I'm going to make sure that we do it the day one that I'm, that I'm in there. I know that he gets a big cheer from there. And I think that that's more of a resonant issue than whether or not he was at January 6th. Cause he talks more about that than he talks about election security. All these guys that, that, that are, are painted as, as, as lunatics uh, for the Trump stuff and believe all that as much as you want. But when they're talking to their audience, it's not a, a hour long monologue. Trump is. But but uh, the rest of them are not an hour long monologue about 2020. It, it's like we're going to clean up our elections and then they move on to inflation. They move on to stuff that's happened in the last two years. Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to is, is, is that Democrats seem to have forgotten how they lost Virginia. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they lost Virginia to a Trump endorsed candidate who didn't talk about Trump. He talked about the issues that people cared about. It was education. Um, it was a lot of other things that were very central to like what was going on in Virginia at the time. And if you're not talking about that in Pennsylvania, you're really missing opportunities. I mean, for example, if we're talking about inflation and you can argue that maybe we can't solve inflation if, but from the governorship, right? But if you're running for office, you either A, have to have a solution or B, have a message. You know, that's a plausible, you know, thing that might help a little bit. And, you know, in in Pennsylvania, talking about fracking and talking about getting oil out of the ground, uh, when you're looking at how much you're paying for gas, is a good message. And it's a better message than, um, you know, this guy went to, you know, January 6th and might do X, Y, and Z and mess up elections, or, you know, this other guy is from New Jersey. I mean, like, talk about the things that actually people are talking about right now in a creative way. And if you have a solution, great. And if not, have a message. All right. This is the other thing that uh, I think we agreed on. We were texting back and forth. I'm kind of bullish on Mastriano just as a politician. I saw him speak. I I, I knew next to nothing about him. I, know, I was mostly there. To, I was mostly there to see Kathy Barnett. Didn't get to see her. Did get to see Didn't Mastriano. To, yeah. And I was like. You and know, Fetterman, I, too. I, you missed that one, too, because he was I in the hospital. Well, yeah, but Fetterman was in the hospital. Uh, uh, so, yeah, But with Mastriano, I'm like, if they just keep saying he's a loon, like, they're, you're going like to drive, drive attention to him. And if you drive attention to him, he's not going to come off as the loon 
You say he is. And, and this was partly the Trump thing where this is where he is kind of like Trump, where it's like if, if you just say, oh, can you believe what he said? Can you believe what he said? Can you believe what he said? Then you're just asking people to go see. And when you watch Trump talk, he talked like unlike any other politician you had ever seen, whether or not you were repulsed by him or you were enthralled by him, you could not look away. And he defined that race. And I feel like Shapiro is doing the exact same thing here. Uh, the difference is that Mastriano is a slicker speaker than Trump is. He's not as chaotic of, of, of a candidate, but he doesn't come off as somebody that is that is a, 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 a tinfoil hat crackpot. He doesn't come off as Alex Jones. No. He comes off as an old military man who listens to a lot of hardcore history. Yeah, I mean, he's history podcast guy, you know, and, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, he's not going to come off as as Trump. Cause he's not Trump. So if you're going to try and run against Trump, I mean, all he has to say when Mastriano in that debate is I'm not Trump. I don't sound like Trump. I don't, you know, I mean, we, let's have this debate, you know, I mean, and the debate's going to go back and forth. It's going to get pretty wonky because, you know, Mastriano does have opinions about things. Yeah. Um, he's not just running because he was the Trump guy. You know, he really does want to win this race. And so I think Shapiro, if he doesn't start taking him more seriously, is going to find himself under it because Mastriano can do a really good job of just making himself a generic Republican yes. and generic Republican is going to be generic Democrat in the fall. I guess that's, that's the other thing is, and so that would be the argument, the steel man argument for what they're doing is they want to prevent him from doing that. They want to tar him as extreme. So you are continuing to startle the suburbs of, of persuadable uh, Republican voters that didn't like Trump, that voted for Biden, but are are now upset with the Democrats. You want to say, oh, well, you don't want to put this lunatic in. I just wonder whether yeah, yeah, it's going to But the suit stick. doesn't fit. Like, I mean, it didn't fit for Yunkin and it doesn't necessarily yeah. fit for Mastriano either. So like you've already run that play. So you don't need to run the same stupid dive play up the middle um, that, that gets you no yards, you know, when you need 10. And so this is the same situation that Ma that Mastriano is is being is going to be you know tasked with when they come after him well fine sure run the dive play you'll get one yard congratulations yeah. you need 10 you know and and mastriano will still talk about the big things and about how he wants to solve um gas prices and other things and people are going to look at that and go well that's what i want you know i mean i i don't want you know january 6th but there's not gonna be another january 6th he went and he whatever you know they're going to discount that they're going to look at what's in it for me, not what's in it for the people on Capitol Hill. And I think that's the other thing is whenever I have these conversations, people are like, well, people really care about January 6th. And I'm like, look, I know that there's a lot of them. I think they're all voting yeah. Democrat. I don't think that you need to worry about them. I think I think you could you could say, hey, I'm running. I'm a Democrat. And they're going to like, cool. I'll see you in November. I'm you have my vote. Right. Right. You're, those aren't the people you're talking to. You, you, you are you are talking to people that are on the fence and probably especially in this environment. Don't think very highly of Democrats. Yeah. You know, I mean, everyone wants to move on, quote unquote, from January 6th at this point. You're going to get a few hearings this week, probably a few next week. There'll be Prime a report. Time. There'll be Prime some really time. nasty shit. Well, they, they already said so, 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 everywhere yeah, about Fox at, News and OANN, right? Yeah, yeah at, 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 at the point that this is airing, it will have already happened. So I'm sure everybody is hungover from all of their primetime January 6th parties that they're right. throwing and because their bingo this is parties, such a national. You know, yeah. 
hopefully you won January 6th bingo at your party, you know, that's exactly. Kind of yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. You played square, but you go into the weekend and like, you're still pumping gas at like, you know, six, $7 a gallon. You're like, yeah. okay, January 6th is important to me, but you know what really is important to me? How much this is costing me, you know, and, I, and the gas isn't better this time around than it was last year. You know, the no. gas is not worth five bucks more. And so January 6th is gone. It happened once in our history. That sucks. And those people like the Proud Boys guy is going to jail, you know, hopefully. I mean, he's been, been indicted. So the head of the Proud Boys has been indicted. But, yeah. you know, is Trump going to be indicted? Ne Look, the principals never get indicted. We all know that, no. right? And so the people, people are going to look at whatever they have. And they're like, yeah, January 6th really did suck. And then they're going to turn back into their lives and say, okay, what do I need to vote? Um, you know, for me and my family. And, and that is really going to be the frame for the campaign. So, um, you know, I don't, I mean, that's not going to influence many votes. I personally, and look, there, there may or may not, I may or may not be an idiot uh, uh, by the time that this airs because some a gigantic bombshell comes out during this this Thursday primetime thing. Uh, uh, if, if I do, then there will be a podcast that immediately comes after this where I will talk about whatever happened. That being said, Boy, do I think for the Democrats, it would be better if they just put they just put the final framing on January 6th. The bigger issue was that Trump tried to get these alternate slates and alternate electors. That makes Trump unqualified. Uh, it makes everybody that was involved in in that unqualified. It is unfortunate that everybody ran into the Capitol. We believe that they were incited by Trump and just stop litigating it because I think the longer that they litigated, the more, especially when things are going bad and things are going bad right now. If you look at the, the polling on direction of the country, it's bleak. So like, if this is yeah. what you're spending your time and effort on, I don't think you're buying anything with this. Isn't like either of those two impeachments where things were going pretty well, but some people hated Trump and you had a vested interest in, in making him look uniquely unqualified, if not criminal, but things were going good. The economy, money was in people's pockets. Jobs were yeah. good. Uh, uh, gas was cheap. Like there, everything was okay. I think there was a lot more tolerance for, yeah, but maybe he had hookers pee on the bed. Now I think the tolerance for the nanny is over. Like, like people want Congress and politicians to be doing a thing about the problem right now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as far as, um, you know, Trump's concerned, I mean, unless he is indicted, I don't know that this is going to cycle back into the news. Like once we get out of this January 6th news cycle, they drop, you know, whatever they have in the hearings, they drop their final report, we're done. Like, I, you know, there'll be a few indictments, probably, uh, you know, lower level people, but, you know, Trump's not getting indicted in New York. And we were all promised that. Um, yeah. And if he's not getting indicted in New York, I don't know where on the planet he's going to get indicted. So, you know, be that as a man, like Trump is Trump's best um, use case right now is to make sure that people who support Oz are going to get out, yeah. you know, and everybody knows that, you know, Oz is not Trump, but Trump is supporting Oz or all these candidates that he's you know endorsed. His best use case is to make sure that all the pissed off people get out of their house and go and vote or mail in the, the ballots because now they're not fake because we fixed all the rules in all the right places. And, you know, yeah, but that's exactly. it, I, you know, and, and so, you know, let's talk about the things that actually matter. And right now it's um, inflation and it's gas prices. And those things are not going to somehow change over the next six months. Those are very hard problems that take 
multiple months, maybe even multiple years to go ahead and fix. And, you know, Ukraine is still invaded. So that's still a problem um, on gas prices. Supply chain is bad. So that's still bad on tough, you know, tough on inflation. So those things don't get fixed right away. And I, I can't imagine that Biden has like that one thing he's always wanted to do it just in case this was going on and he's going to do it tomorrow morning. Like if Biden can figure it out, he would have done it by now, which he hasn't. Yeah. I mean, that's, I said it on the podcast uh, on Wednesday that, you know, sometimes I look and especially with this gun thing, there's a, there, there might be an actual bipartisan deal. The, the, uh, the, the Joe Biden that I knew as a political figure, my entire life, you wouldn't be able to keep him out of that room uh, if you put it underground uh, in, in in a secure bunker. He would get in that room because he would want to be part of or that bipartisan deal. And and now he just comes out and gives a speech about stuff that's definitely not going to pass. And you haven't even heard. I thought for sure that we would get some kind of little leak in like Politico's playbook or something of like uh, Joe Biden's wise hidden cheerleading of the of the bipartisan. Just so we could just nothing. just staple his name onto it just a little bit. Nothing, nothing. He for all we know, like he, everything that we have, we know at this point to be true. He's not even in the room. He may not even be in the same zip code. He's not even on the Zoom calls. Like he's not there and none of his people are there. And part of the reason why is because he laid down that marker in that speech. He didn't say, he didn't get up there and say, let's do something. Anything is better than this. Like that would have been the reasonable response to this. Instead he goes, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And guess what? None of those things are going to happen. And so he's going to get to sign a bill, not of his writing, um, if it even comes across the finish line, which probably gives money to states to to experiment with re- with red flag red laws, red flag laws, and, um, yeah, you know, and you know, McConnell is open to having um, the age for guns to be extended from you know eighteen to twenty one, but there's people in his caucus who don't like that. So, like, you're looking at something that's really narrow. Um, you'll probably get some money for schools to beef up security, but beyond all of that, like, that's it. Like, you're not getting you know, the gun, yeah, the, the assault weapon, um, the assault weapon uh, ban back. You're not getting all the things that he said that we needed to do. And he looks ridiculous. Like, he looks really out of touch in that well, yeah, situation. He and, makes, he's, he's taking you know, away a win. Like for, for an administration yeah. that's been starved for wins, like the, the fact the that he could say like, uh, just, yeah, I'm bipartisan Joe. When you elected me, you elected somebody who would make Washington work again. They said it would be impossible in the middle of campaigns where a lot of these guys right. are, are supporting and running against each other, that, that we could come together and get something done for the public under my administration. That happened. Instead, he comes out and, and gives a pie in the sky thing. That's almost as ridiculous as what's happening in the house, which is even more insane with their gigantic omnibus. And, and it's like, oh, is everybody sounds, just yeah. ignoring that this is a ready-made win or are they just so scared of the progress? wing of the party. I just think he's really disconnected. I mean, I, I, I hate to say this, but like, cause I, I really felt like, okay, well that's, that's sort of an overreach because he's old and they're trying to make him senile and all that. But like, there's a disconnect in reality right now. Like he should know yeah. that he's not going to get any of those things. And laying that down as a marker does not help his negotiating position at all. So this, this is just a weird disconnected, you know, thought pattern that he's got on this. And I know, 
you, I know what he wants, but he's not going to get it. And he knows that. And so if anything, he should say, look, you know, the, even the Republicans at this point are now starting to talk about this. I encourage that whatever we can get, we'll take, um, you know, it, it's got to be better than this. I mean, you've got people in the caucus in the Senate who are saying, look, I've been working on this for decades. Can we just get yeah. something, you know, and 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 Republicans are saying, hey, you know what? I'd love to take guns off the table this election. You know, we're yeah. worried about guns right now because, you know, everyone's getting shot up every weekend and or during the week and schools are really, un, you know, are really dangerous places right now. And so if we could say that we did something, it may not be everything the progressives wanted, but we did something and it was different than what we've ever done before. That's a win for Republicans. And I think McConnell gets it, which is why he deputized his number two for that one. Cornyn, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is, yeah. I, I really think in the hands of a capable comms team for the White House, the push that looks to be part of this deal, which is uh, adding juvenile records into background checks and then uh, putting what? more money into the background check system. It's like that to me, if you are capable, you should be able to sell that as the American to the American public. This was a problem. This would have fixed that problem. The shooter in Buffalo, the shooter right. in uh, 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 Uvalde would not have been able to get a gun because of the thing that we did. You should be able to sell that without saying like, oh, but we didn't eliminate every gun on the street. Like, oh, shucks. It's just I, I don't I don't get that. Clinton did V chips and he did um, school uniforms. I mean, yeah, small ball stuff that actually mattered to people at the time. Like if you can say, hey, look, we're going to make it much harder for it for a disturbed teenager to get a gun and go shoot up a school. Well, that actually does help because a lot of these um, these situations are exactly those people. So if you can somehow reduce, you know, the ability of those people to get a gun and then, you know, literally that week go and shoot up a school. Well, that's, that's actually a very targeted solution. And, yeah. you know, it has the virtue of good messaging as well. So why not take it and say, okay, we're going to go ahead and work with, with McConnell and his team on this one. And then we're going to go back and see if we can get a little bit more. And we'll go back and get a little bit more because we know there's more that we can do. But right now, doesn't suck that we're working together. This is good. You know, but but yeah. Joe is not operating as bipartisan Joe like he was running for, for the presidency. He's now operating as somebody who has spent way too much time with Elizabeth Warren and other people on the left. And, you know, and, and maybe acting a little bit more emotional now seeing kids being killed. You know, I mean, he's lost. I just think this is, so now, this is now this has now become a me problem. Like I said it on the podcast right. on Wednesday that, that the, the, the definition of insanity is expecting Joe Biden to make the smart move and then watching the news and being surprised, you know, uh, uh, it's just, I, I, I can't at this point, the Joe Biden that I thought existed as a, a, a political figure uh, is just not there anymore or his team's different or I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he got replaced by a clone like Avril Lavigne, but like something's different uh, uh, and and it's just it's not the same. What is the same is how much uh, fun we have talking to Michael Cohen, of course, the author of Modern Political Campaigns, you. the book. Go buy it. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll have you on a few more times uh, before before we're uh, uh, done with this midterms. Always a pleasure. And if we see a Fetterman sighting, we'll have to jump back on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, wait. Come on, man. Fetterman. He's like, uh, uh, he's like Sasquatch. Go, come out of, come out of the brush. Like Sasquatch. Absolutely. Sasquatch in shorts, man. If he comes back out, <laughs> we're, we're just going to have to go ahead and do something about it. <laughs>
<laughs> thanks. Thanks so much. No problem. And that wraps it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is brought to you by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. We want to thank Michael Cohen for being on the show. It is px3guest.com, letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. On Twitter, it is px3tweets. On Twitch, it is px3live. Our podcast can be found at px3podcast.com. Share it with your friends, family, and clergy. If you want merch, it is politicsmerch.com. Of course, you can support us with a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. And on Cash App, it is px3cash. Send anything physical you would like in the mail. P.O. Box. 153184 Austin, Texas, 78715. Make it out to Justin Young, P.O. Box, 153184. Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we missed during our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast along with these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. V-Guard, Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Yo Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Neemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, Persons Familiar with the Matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. 100 Mile Runner, Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B.A. Start, Dr. G, Headphones, Neil, D- uh, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslandi, and Blue Front and the Lenina. D.L., Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana, Shrill Shrieks, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, D. Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Jen, Adam L., D. Really, Chopper, J. Pink, Andrew, and Josh... Going to be amongst their ranks. Only one way to do it. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We have the grand return of David McRaney to the podcast next week. He's got a brand new book out. We will talk about that and so much more. You Are Not So Smart, of course, the, the big podcast that he does there. Great dude. Solid hang. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.